Animal Fire Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio podcast, a podcast that is designed to talk about the job. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I get to interview the coolest people out there in the American Fire Service and talk about the job. Everything from guys riding backwards, officers, chiefs, up through companies, people, manufacturers, products, organizations, you name it. We're trying to capture the stories to promote the job and make the job better. So if you're returning and you're a regular listener, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, check it out and let us know what you think. Podcast at nationalfireradio.com is where you can find us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show, people that you think might be a good guest, or anything else that you want to talk about. Send it over to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And what we get to do is bring forth the word about the job. But in order to do that, we need the help of some sponsors. So do me a favor, hang tight, and listen to the words from a few of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at BoxAlarmGrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his team have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 shields in the market. Taylor's Tins is a leader in the American Fire Service helmet front space. Not only do they manufacture helmet fronts, but they do so much more. Locker tags, key chains, CO monitor charts, medical kit charts, pump charts, banquet awards, you name it, they do it. Go over to taylorstins.com and check out what they can offer you today. They've become a longtime sponsor and good friend of the National Fire Radio podcast. And because of that, they offer a promo code at checkout. So when you go to taylorstins.com, enter NFR sent me, that is NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off your checked out order. It works on all stock items from taylorstins.com, including quick tins, license plates, locker tags, and much, much more. Exclusions do apply. This is a company that prides themselves on quality and customer service. From the inception, from your design to out the door, it's within 48 hours. Nobody else is doing that. They can't do that. 48 hours to get your shield out the door to you to put it on your helmet and get to the next job. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. Again, that's taylorstins.com. Check out their latest offerings and use promo code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for 15% off on your checkout. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Jeremy National Fire Radio. Today on the podcast is a special one for me. 
Retired out of Passaic, New Jersey, Lieutenant John Lewis. John, thanks for joining me, brother. Oh, it's good to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for the invitation. This is pretty cool, man. So I've known about John Lewis probably my whole fire service career, and I'll explain why, John. You are a staple in Bergen County, New Jersey, where I grew up as a firefighter. I went through the Bergen County Fire Academy. Uh, and at the time, you were one of the highlighted instructors that guys wanted. They wanted to learn from you because you came from a department that did some work and you liked going to fires and you had the right attitude about training, about the fire service and about how good it was. And it was always evident on your demeanor, meaning you you it emanated from you and um and it was contagious and i know that we run in a lot of the same circles with with guys over the years and so on but i don't you and i've you know we've gotten together a few times and chatted a few times but we never really got into uh you know a, a close friendship or anything like that just the opportunity wasn't there but um it's an honor to have you on today with me on the podcast you were one of the guys from early on on the podcast that i was like i'd love to get john lewis on and uh, and so I'm glad you're here today, man. This is this is special to me. I'm glad to be here too. It's just going to be a, a good night. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, I appreciate your your compliments there for my teaching at the academy. I just always wanted to make the student feel comfortable and wanted them to learn something. I wanted them to go home thinking. So you where know, where does that come from, home. right? Because like you know, you grew up, and I know you gave me a little backstory, and we're going to hop into all that. But like, where does the passion for putting it forward. Like I talk about that a lot on our platform about, you know, diving in and putting in more so you can, so you can push the job ahead. I mean, you're always promoting the fire service and always wanting to push the job ahead. Where does that come from for you? You know, uh, like I told you before, I mean, I come from a fire service family. A lot of people know my brother, Walt. Uh, a lot of people don't know that we have an older brother, Gregory, who uh, was an inspiration to us. He belonged to the volunteer fire department where we grew up. He's nine years older than I am, so tried to follow him around a lot and yeah. watch what he did and uh, watched him do his company drills and learn things and just be in the background picking things up. But when I got in the fire service, I, I was lucky to have a real good chief who said, hey, listen, we have a great fire academy up here in Mawa, and it's free. Yeah, Keep yourself there as much as you can, learn everything, and bring it back to everybody else. And that was Chief Dickman in Cliffside Park talk, said that to me. And I said, what a great opportunity. Because you go to a lot of places, a lot of fire departments, especially career departments, you don't necessarily get the time to go to school or don't get the encouragement. But this this was, I was a young fireman, 1985. And uh, this is what the direction the chief said, go. It's free, go. Was, get up there. Was that a time in 1985? So it's, it's about 10 years prior to myself getting in the fire service. So in 85, there were becoming a lot of changes in the fire service. Uh, PPE was, our, our bunker gear was getting better, enclosure of yeah. apparatus, right? Equipment started getting better. Is that a time when training and, the, and there was a refocus on furthering education? Because to me, I think in that time frame, for a chief to have that mentality to push his people to do more, to go seek more training, was that normal back then or was he ahead of the curve? I think he was the head of the curve, and unfortunately, he was only there for two or three years once I started my career, and then yeah, he had the time on the job to retire. Um, but he was involved in the academy. He was one on the advisory board, and he really wanted to promote it and the, the value of the training. But you're right. There were a lot of things changing in the fire service. I mean, when I first 
joined the fire department in the late 70s. It was open cab apparatus. Sure. And open pump panel. And then, you know, it was, you know, you rode up on top where the pump panel crossed. Um, <laughs> but then it was closed, closed cab. All right. Yeah. This closing the cabs, which is better for safety. You know, it's, there was more uh, safety involved, you know, turnout gear didn't come to a little later, but I was a little ahead of the curve. I saw what was coming and I went out and bought my own bunker pants uh, and made sure that it was okay that I wore them in the department. Cause I saw that I watched, you know, a lot of videos from around the country where we used to watch this American heat. Oh yeah. American heat. Uh, yep. Absolutely. And, and you see the, you know, they're wearing a bunker gear and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're safer. You know, they're protecting themselves better, you know? And, and that was something that I, I bought into early was, you know, being safe on the fire ground. Um, it was so different back then to be able to experience outside influences in the fire service, right? So earlier today, I was talking with a couple other guys that had a few years in the fire service, and we were talking pre-internet. And it's like for people, a lot of the people that digest our content today are younger, and a lot of them grew up in an internet age, meaning like they don't know life prior to uh, the internet. If you're 25 years or more in the fire service, you know, you remember pre-internet, but anybody sure. younger than that, right, they they don't know any better. They know that they were able to, to click on something and be able to find whatever they're looking for. So you mentioned American Heat. These are VHS tapes that fire yep. firehouses bought. I remember our firehouse had like a complete library of VHS tapes. Yes. American Heat would come out once a month. It was like a, a subscription service. Yeah. 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 But and we it, also yeah, read, we also read fire engineering and firehouse sure. back then, you know, and, and it wasn't online. And you read the article and you looked forward to the magazine coming out because it had the hot shots and you found out what was burning around the country. And you had articles by, you know, impressive people and with people, you know, Chief Don and Chief sure. Norman and mm -hmm. all these. And, and they were and some of them weren't even chiefs yet, but they were you would watch them progress through their career by reading their articles a lot saying that this guy's writing this and reading this and believing this and this he's moving his career up this is what i need to do it's the same thing yeah and i remember as a as a young fireman i mean reading those magazines i was i was just captured by them like they captured my attention and that was the only outside influence right until we started realizing that there were some conferences or or flea markets or um, you know, how did we expose ourselves to it prior to that, right? It was like you you had to actively seek it out. There was no way to absorb what anyone else was doing in the fire service without those publications or video series or trying to find maybe a conference or two that you could attend, right? Because there weren't even that many conferences back then. No, there wasn't that many conferences back then. And, and, it's, and it goes back to the academy and, and having that good chief was, You'd get, you'd get flyers for like a National Fire Academy program that was being presented in New Jersey. Mm. I was like, wow, this is a National Fire Academy program. You know, oh, it's going to be in Middlesex County. That's not too far. I can go there, you know? And it's even like, hey, it's not going to cost you anything again. If federally funded programs, there's training, go do it. And you start networking and meeting people. And there I was, a young fireman, start meeting people. Some people are own, my own generation. And we, we started seeing each other more and more often. And saying, yeah, this training stuff is really good. That's pretty cool, right? When yeah. you start seeing the same faces at the same events, you know, it starts to click like, all right, there's other people that are into it like I am, right? I'm not alone. I'm not on an island here. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So those early days then where that chief pushed you to get and do more for training, 
is that did that really set the stage then for you to want to become an instructor? I mean, I know you retired uh, with 25 years as a as a uh, an, an academy instructor for Bergen County, New Jersey. I know when you were on the job with Passaic Fire Department, which is an urban setting, a busy department, you were the training and safety officer there for a stint. So there's a lot of training wrapped up here, John. Is that the foundation of where it came from? Well, yeah, it was the foundation was going to class and going to class and going to class. And the chief at the fire academy at the time, John Evans, he, he had said that, you know, this, you've taken every class we have. Why don't you just come here and teach some classes? <laughs> I said, That's well, great. I can't do that. I said, I can't do that. I said, I'm a young fireman. What do I know? You know, it was it was in the, the early to mid 90s, like 93, 94. Right. And uh you know, I was like, I, I, I can't do that. I'm not the, you know, I'm looking at people like Mark Salkoff and Scotty Sherman and Paul sure. Dansbeck, guys that are known in Bergen County that are still, you know, like authorities in there. They're, you know, Mark was the ropes guy. Scotty was the pumps guy. Paul was the building construction and fire. I said, I couldn't do this. And he's like, try it. Just come up, be part of the classes. Just, you know, bring whatever knowledge you have to the table. He said, you, you've got stuff to offer. And, you know, so I, I tried it out and, and I liked it. I love that because that then goes right back to my opening statement about you and the memories I've had of you. And that makes sense then because when you got to the academy and started train or started teaching there, you were pretty young, I would assume then, right? And so yeah. maybe that's what made you so relatable to like an 18-year-old kid like me coming through for Fire One uh, in 1995 is looking at you saying this guy's 10 years older than me or whatever it is. Right. And saying like, man, that could be me in, in, in 10 years. Right. So there's that instant relatability there. And that's probably why you were a standout to me and a lot of guys of my age. And and it was good because well, right after I started a couple other people, again, same generation, Rob Moran from, you know, from Leonia and Englewood started teaching up there, Bobby Carris from, North Arlington, some guys, uh, again, my age, and we mm-hmm. started hitting it off and started realizing, hey, you know what? We do have a lot to bring to the, to the table here. We can bring some other stuff, some thinking outside the box stuff, um, which no, worked I, out really good. I love that. I mean, because it just brings so much more to the table, right? Like when you – the thing for me that draws people in during conferences and instruction is a dynamic speaker and a dynamic instructor, somebody that – is there for the right reasons, who's willing to take a knee with their students or willing to treat them as an equal and just pay it forward. Meaning I've had some more abilities in my career, a little more experience maybe. And so let me share that with you to get you to the next level. Like that's the mentality that stands out. I think, John, you've always had that about you. And, you know, the, uh, one of the things that happened, I don't want to say it's a highlight of my career. One of the events that happened in my career was, I got caught in a fire and, and I took that opportunity to use it as a learning event and a training event. Uh, when I was a fireman in Cliffside Park, uh, it was only four men, four members on a shift, you know, uh, three of us on the first two engine. The second two engine was brought up by the guy who would do the dispatch. Uh, we, we went to a fire. The address of the firehouse was 550. The, ad- the building reported fire was 608. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Gorge Road. So, I mean, it wasn't that far of a ride to get from the firehouse to the fire scene. Yeah. But I was dressed. I had everything on. I did everything I needed to do. And as we arrived, the police officers were saying, she's in there, she's in there. Uh, I made a beeline for the door, started looking for the victim. 
what I, I didn't know was while I was in there and I located the victim, started attempted to reposition the victim to pull out where other people on the fire ground, not firefighters that started taking the windows in the building oh boy. and caused some, caused some air to flow through there. And the room lit up. I was back. I was on my belly realizing that this is getting really, really hot in here. So I'm thinking as a fireman, I'm like, well, what should I do? Oh, I know the windows are right here. Let me vent, take these windows out. I'll get rid of some heat. Well, that wasn't the thing to do because now I gave the fire a flow path. Yeah, he pulled it right through. Yeah. And it pulled it right through. And I realized I got to get out of here right away. And sorry, you know, uh, I, I bailed on the victim. But as I came out, my turnout gear was on fire. The officer was there with charged hose line right away. Boom, put, knocked the fire down. And within nine, I'd say eight to 10 minutes, you know, they were calling for an ambulance to take me to the hospital. I didn't get burned. I had a one inch burn across my forehead where my hood didn't line up with my mask. Right. But my turnout gear was burned off of me. Wow. Uh, and, and literally it worked. It did its job. My bunker pant saved my butt. My coat saved my body. My hood saved my head. Yeah, and and that was it. And that's when, you know, Chief Evans and some of the other guys up at the academy said, "This is what you need to talk about. This is what you have to tell everybody." And and I took it from there, and that just built my confidence up to say, "Yeah, this is going to save your life. This is what we have to do. You know, where you safe, where you turn out gear, be safe." And you know, that just actually made me in my comfort zone of teaching, and I built on my, you know, teaching from there on. Yeah, John, an experience like that, though, early on in your career, man, could go could go south too. no? Meaning like, you know, that could set your career down a bad path because, you know, you didn't cope and deal with that situation at hand. Right. And so to oh, be- I did. I, I had a real good uh, critical incident stress debrief guy that yeah. came in mm-hmm. uh, and we became very good friends, uh, you know, and uh, really he gave me the, you know, did what I, he helped me out, got me through what I needed to get through. You know, I made a conscious decision to leave a human being inside a burning building, you know, to save myself. Right. You know, it's that old risk a lot, save a lot, risk a little, save. I was there and I had that woman in my hands at one point, but you know what, that room just lit up so fast and there was just so much going on. It was like, you got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, and then that that mm -hmm. counselor was, was a great guy and really gave me a lot of, uh, you know, direct give me back what i needed and this is this is years ago i mean this is probably before that was the norm within the fire industry right i mean you know now you know 90s 1996 yeah yeah i mean that that is probably right around when critical incident stress debriefing became something at least known right it wasn't You know, it wasn't offered, I don't think, as widely as, you know, certainly it is today. But, you know, back then, a lot of people were meant to fend for themselves after an incident like that. But for for you to be able to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did you find talking about that as you got to an instructor level and being able to talk about that experience? Did that help you through it also? Well, yeah, it definitely did. And that was one of the things that the counselor said, you know, when they said, you know, the chief of the academy thinks you should do this. And I think it's a good thing for you to do and talk about it. Yeah. And did so we you know we put actually had i have a slide program that's how long ago it was <laughs> not even a powerpoint program right right the actual slides that we put together with you know the built pictures of the building the pictures of the fire room the turnout you know my gear which i still have and wow. i still bring that out places you know that's a powerful reminder yeah i'm sure you know and i know over your career so you were in cliffside park and then from there 
Uh, you ended up going to Passaic, New Jersey, which was even more of an urban setting and uh, and a, 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 a busy and aggressive department. And you've seen your fair share of work and tragedy in that city as well, I know, um, and so on. But talk to me a little bit about the path of going career. Like, was it a no-brainer for you? I mean, you grew up in the volunteer house. You followed your brother Gregory there. You, you, you tried to imitate what he was doing. He was considerably older than you. And so, you know, you, you, you kind of followed in his footsteps, your father's footsteps, and then obviously you. But what was the, what was the catalyst to get to a career department? How'd that go down? I was lucky. I was lucky. I, I, after high school, even I, let me put it this way, a friend of mine uh, who was Maywood, a former Maywood chief, and I were the first two members of the youth squad of the ambulance corps in Maywood, the first okay. aid squad. Mm-hmm. So we went through and did the all five-point first aid program. First aid, CPR, the extrication, defensive driving. I, I forget what the fifth fifth card was. Right. But that, that was the beginnings of the EMT program in New Jersey. So after the this renewal cycle came up a couple of years later, then got into the EMT program. Uh, this, this guy who I joined the, the juniors with got a job with a, one of the private ambulance transportation companies. So you should come and work here. So we did. Started working there, just doing transports. We worked on the VA hospital and, you know, hospital into hospital facility transports. And then when I got married in 1984, I moved to Cliffside Park and they had, they were a combination department. So I joined the volunteer department. So, you know, that's what I want to do. And they, they, I was the first EMT that they hired. Okay. Firefighter EMT. They hired others, you know, right after me, but I, I was like one of the ones that had the certifications. Yeah, so because the state was changing that if it was a paid service, you had to have EMTs and you had to meet certain, uh, you know, certain criteria. Mm-hmm. So it was it was lucky for me to be in the volunteer fire department at the time when they were looking for the EMTs and they needed people. It was a, when I started, there were only three people on a, on a platoon, and when you know when I got injured uh, ten years later, or I got burned ten years later, there was four people. So they never built the department up very big, right? But, uh, you know, I was just lucky to get in the door. We did a lot of ambulance work. Used to be a fireman and a police officer on the ambulance. And we did a lot of fire work. I mean, I got hired. My first working shift in Cliffside Park was nineteen eight. Uh, it was Memorial Day weekend, 85. And, you know, during the summer, we had car fires and little other fires and accidents and, you know, other ambulance calls and other stuff like that. But November 10th, there I am sitting in the firehouse, the three of us watching the, the Giants and the Chicago Bears and all of a sudden, this loud boom happens. It's like, what the heck is that? Yeah. So the officer always said, if in case anything, power failure, always try and open the bay doors, see if we lose power. So I reached over, hit the bay doors open, and I turned around, and the whole switchboard was lit up. <laughs> it's Uh-oh. funny. It's, I, I picked up the first call in, like, fire headquarters, you know, Lewis, whatever time it was, and uh, the first person on the phone goes, Tommy, did you get that? A plane just crashed in my mother's backyard. Oh, and, and he hung up the phone. And I'm like, wow, this guy thinks I'm Tommy Lanzalotta. He <laughs> thinks I know who he he thinks I know who he is. And he thinks I know where his mom lives. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, I only got 20 other lines ringing, so I'll figure yeah. it out, right? Oh, and that's then it funny. was just picking up the next phone. It was just people screaming and yelling and yelling. It's like and the cops are on the radio, you know, it's, it's, it's in the South end. It's in the South end. Yeah. So, okay, boom, that was, that was it, you know, but that was, you know, that was my big f- first big fire. I mean, 
Then the Bisco jet and the private and a Piper Cub crashed over the Hudson River. One landed in Fairview, and we caught the Nabisco jet landed in Cliffside Park. Oh, no kidding. And a couple of buildings burned, yeah. What year so that was, was that? My, uh, 1985. 85, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, so rec- it, I don't recall that, but I was still, I was only uh, eight, nine years old at that point. But uh, Yeah, that that was like my trial. That was my christening for the, the, the big job. Yeah. Well, after that, everything was small. You know, it was like you have two or three buildings on fire and a bunch of cars on fire in the street, and only two of you pull up. And a retired guy brings the uh, the ladder truck. It's like, okay, everything after this is only going to be a small fire. That's right. That's yeah. right. No, that's good, man. That's fun. Well, that's pretty wild. Uh, There's a story. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because after that, I realized who it was that had called and said, did you get that, that a plane crashed in my mom's backyard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's. You know, nine one one. Where's your emergency? That's it's small town backyard and hang up. You, you know? know that that can happen back in 1985. Today, you know, it would be <laughs> yeah. so weird to happen. But you know, back then it was a small community. I mean, even Cliffside Park's always been a bustling community. It's uh, just to paint a picture for those that are listening. It's uh, literally on the Hudson River, across from uh, like Upper Manhattan, the Bronx type, right? right? Harlem, yeah. Right. So, you know, so it's a busy place, man. And now it's got high rises and, and everything else there. It's uh, it's a it's really an interesting place for sure. So that's pretty cool. That's wild. So from there, you get over, you end up going over to Passaic, New Jersey, right? And yeah, in 97, like I said, they decided to get to uh, disband the career department, go with the volunteer agency. And we went on a state layoff list and three of us went to Passaic and three of us went to Ridgewood. Yeah. And, uh, Three of the guys went to Ridgewood, and uh, it worked out really good for me. Like I said, I, I went to a place that had a lot of fire duty, and I worked with a bunch of real good, salty, uh, smart firemen. Yeah, a lot, uh, a lot of history in that department. A lot of history in that, in that department. Yes, it's, it's one an of old, the older old cities. City. Yeah, yes, yeah. So um, mm-hmm. I was founded on the Passaic River just south of Patterson. Patterson was founded by Alexander Hamilton as the first industrial city in in the country based on the Great Falls and the, the Passaic River. And Passaic was designed as the city where everybody would live and everybody would go to work in Patterson in that whole area. And of course, back then the land areas were different, you know, before everybody incorporated into the smaller cities. But it, it goes back to the, to the 1700s, the city. Yeah. And believe me, there's some buildings in town you'd think you were in the 1700s. I believe it. You drive, you ride down Main Avenue and you look at the tops of the, some of these, what we call ordinary buildings, and you look at the dates that are on there. Yeah. You know, a lot of the crown on the uh, parapets that have dates of the 1800s or DAR, you know, Daughters of the American Republic. And oh, no like, kidding. You know, wow. Shows you that the built the city is an aged city, yeah. Yeah, and some of those buildings still exist today, and uh, yeah, they, which is some of them do. Uh, there was, and again, Passaic was a large mill complex city. Yeah. Um, and uh, 1985, they had one of the largest fires, Labor Day fire, and they lost like 20 acres of the city, and uh, mill buildings that were started and just turned into a conflagration from radiant heat. Yeah, and, and they've had their share of large fires ever since then. Yeah, Passaic doesn't typically get small. There's so much potential with the construction and the proximity of the buildings, the exposures. I mean, right. all of it. I mean, it's just a recipe for it truly is a urban center that is uh, all the right uh, all the right things for a considerable fire to break out for sure. Yeah. Yes. A lot, lot of fun there, huh? 
it was a, it was a good place to be a fireman. <laughs> and and uh, one of the young guys that's on the job now uh, that asked me, he said, where should I take the test? Should I take it here, take it there, take it there? I said, take the Passaic test. You get yourself the address and do what you have to do. I said, it's a, it's a good place to work. It's a fun place to work. The guys are always good. I said, but, you know, you're going to go to fires and you're going to, you know, you're going to learn a lot and you can do what you want to do. You know, yeah. you know, people that want to, that want to be on that job and the aggressive level behind it. And I was happy to see him. And actually he just came out very high on the lieutenant's list. Great. So uh, it's nice Great. to see somebody like that. Yeah. And you watch him up through fire one, at, you know, in the volunteer side and then do the right thing, move to a city and, and be the stranger and, you know, take the test and move and get on the department and move up in a couple of years. Well, it speaks volumes to that person, right? Because they're doing everything right. And they're, and they're, you know, they want to do better and be more on that job. And so they do everything they need to, to get there. And it's, you know, there's no shortcuts in this game, right, John? I mean, after all the years that's, you've been doing this, there's sure. no shortcuts. Huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. So re- right there. So retiring out of the ladder company there, you spent a stint, though, as the training and safety officer for the city of Passaic, right? So Yeah, actually, I was in training twice. Uh, unfortunate events, May 9, 2001, uh, we lost firefighter Alberto Torada yeah. in a three-story ordinary fire. Uh, he was uh, on the third floor, the floor above the fire, when the fire order exposed up into the apartment he was in, and he got cut off, and unfortunate events, he couldn't make it out, and... It was early on in the fire, uh, time-wise, timeline-wise, and uh, he called the mayday, and unfortunately, they weren't able to get to him or save him. Um, and that really, you know, threw the department for a big loop. We just hired 16 firefighters the Friday before. Wow. Young, new recruits, they started the academy on Monday. Uh, Firefighter Toronto, it was a Tuesday night, I believe it was, May 9th. And this was a, a, a shock, a wake-up call to these 16 kids that we just hired. I don't want to call them kids, but, you know, recruits. Yeah. And, and it was a shock to everybody that was on the job. It was only, I think there was 16 people working that night or 18 people working that night. Just bare minimum across the board, three across. Um, and that was 2001? That yeah. was 2001. Yeah, May 9, 2001. Okay. I and do- uh, mm-hmm. so... A bunch of us were at uh, a friend of ours, uh, you know, mom had passed away, another firefighter. We were at his wake and we got word of a mayday and something bad going down in the city. So my, me and my buddy Pete, we, we went back to the, t- to the city and tried to do what we could on the fire scene to help out and all that. But after a little while, you started realizing that, you know, this was a bad event. I called my critical incident stress counselor Yeah, from a few years earlier. I said, hey, listen, we just lost a fireman at Passaic. We're going to need some help here. And and he said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to help the guys out. He said, have everybody call home. I said, what? He said, you have your cell phone with you. And this, I said, yeah, I do. He said, have everybody call home because this is going to be on the news at 10 o'clock. And if their families don't know, you know. Yeah. And it was like, wow. So I was going up to guys to call home. No, I'm okay. Yeah, but your family doesn't know that. And this is going to be on the news in a few minutes. Wow. And they were like, you know, and after the funeral and after that, a bunch of guys were like, wow, that was really powerful what you did. And they thanked me for forcing them to call home because, again, if you don't know what's going on, you turn on the 10 o'clock news and they say a fireman died where, you, where, you know, where your spouse is working and, and you haven't heard from them. You're going to set off panic at home. For sure. Yeah. You know, don't have the major conversation. Just say, hey, something bad happened at work. I'm I okay. am okay. Yeah. I'm okay. And 
I love you, and I'll talk to you when I can. You know? Yeah. So I, I was running around the fire ground that night, making sure everybody called home, which was, uh, like I said, it worked out for everybody's sake. But after the funeral and during the investigation and everything, Chief Imperato said to me, because he knew I had done training at the academy and I had taught at some conferences and written some articles and that. Um, he said, I want you to come into training starting July 1st. So uh, he put me in the training bureau as a firefighter, but he put me in there with the captain. So we try, We just started to do, again, rapid intervention, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics and start reinforcing what we do. Go back to our SOPs, what policies, what training have we done before, where are we shortfalls. So I did two years in training then as a firefighter. And then when I came back out of there, uh, I guess it was about a year and a half later, I got promoted and bam, went back in for two more years <laughs> as the lieutenant in the training. Yeah. So Yeah. Uh, well, you did such a good job the first go around. They were, let's have them back. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. But yeah, that's how I wound up in the training bureau in Passaic was because it was out of need that we needed to rebuild and, you know, regroup the, the fire department. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Anderson Rescue Solutions was founded in 2016 by former Philadelphia firefighter Tim Anderson. As an urban firefighter and rescue specialist, Tim found that the equipment available to him lacked the usability and practicality in complex high-stress environments that rescuers often found themselves in. To combat this, he developed products based on his own experiences in the field, creating innovative, efficient gear designed to thrive in reality. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap is a perfect example of one of these products. Made in America, this patented tool is used for rapidly harnessing firefighters or civilians in the worst conditions. Every feature is fine-tuned to meet the needs of rescuers battling low visibility, low dexterity, and high stress. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap has been used in numerous real-world rescues for both firefighters and civilians all across the country, and it is being increasingly adopted by fire, rescue, and tactical agencies as standard issue equipment. I carry one. I have carried one for many years. It is the most versatile strap out there. Check it out. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Tim Anderson, the owner and proprietor of Anderson Rescue Solutions, has become a dear friend. In fact, he's even been on the podcast several episodes ago dropped the incredible information he's super passionate about the fire service about special operations and he has built an incredible company and an incredible product so because of our great relationship with tim and anderson rescue solutions if you go to andersonrescue.com you'll get 10 percent off if you use the promo code nfr2023 that's nfr2023 at checkout on andersonrescue.com you'll get 10 percent off your order and do me a favor go over to their social media and check out facebook instagram and youtube for weekly news product info and other content in regards to anderson rescue solutions this episode's brought to you by Flame Decon. Developed specifically for firefighter decon, Flame shampoo, body wash, and soaps reduce your risk of getting occupational cancer. Live fire testing shows that carcinogens on your skin after a fire are removed and undetectable after using Flame. 
Flame Decon has made a product that not only does its job and does it well, but that you'll enjoy using. They smell amazing. They make your skin and hair feel great. I will be an absolute witness to that. I have used the product. Tara and I have known each other for quite some time. She has sent us product. We have used it, and it does take that smell of soot and smoke off of you immediately following a shower. It makes a difference. You can find Flame Decon products at flamedecon.com and use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's promo code NFR for 15% off your first order at flamedecon.com. And for departments that are interested in departmental orders, more than one or two pieces of product, you can reach out to Tara directly at Tara at flamedecon.com. She's happy to entertain any inquiries that you have. And this made me think departments need to protect their own and protecting our own is also after the fire. Chiefs, purchasing managers, look into Flame Decon as a way of protecting our firefighters in and out of the fire. So check out Flame Decon at flamedecon.com. Use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's, um, you know, that, that I got to believe that that's a tremendous amount of stress. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I, I've never had to deal with the line of duty uh, directly from the fire ground affecting my own department. I've never had to deal with any of that. And I can only imagine how the cards fall after all of the, all of that settles. And, you know, a lot of that always is after the investigation, it comes back to look at deficiencies or things that need improvement or what can we have done better, you know, and so yep. on. And then, you know, the hard part is, is probably the finger pointing, but then also understanding that, hey, maybe we can do better here and finding um, finding ways to go about fixing or bettering our current position. And, and that takes strong leadership. And for you to get put into that position because I would think that a lot of that fell on you. And mm -hmm. I have to think that that was quite a challenge at the time. And so I guess my question to you is how did that all, how did that feel for you? I mean, you, you're, you're picking up a, at a very low point in your department's history, right? I mean, I don't know how much lower we can get as a department when it comes to pride, morale, culture when there's a line of duty death it's very hard to to move forward from that right and so it takes the right people to write the the to write the blueprint that's going to get us out of this right and, and get to the next yeah. spot what did that look like john well i get you know i only got picked up and got hired in 98 into sake so i was mm. still you know it was still an outsider yeah you know okay but, you know guy likes to talk he likes to train he likes you know um, so I was there, you know, four years almost when, uh, you know, when Al passed. Um, and like I said, I went in there as a firefighter, but they put a captain in there. So they had some authority in there because these, like I said, these veteran salty guys, they're going to listen to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're going to listen to the captain. So the, the captain and I worked on programs and we, you know, we, we put them together and, you know, we utilized everybody's talent the best we could. You know, we knew who was good at pump operators. We knew who was good at this. We knew who was good at that because, you know, the captain had been around everybody. Yeah. So it was, it's, it's really, it was a group effort. And a lot of the guys, good guys, I'm telling you, they were really good guys for the sake. Um, again, they welcomed, welcomed the three of us into the department, but they, they bought into, this is what we need to do. We had, we, we were at the bottom. Like you said, we got to get ourselves better. We can't let this happen again. So they did 
Oh, everybody had some personal buy-in. It wasn't just somebody standing in front of a classroom talking. Did you feel a lot of weight on your shoulders? I mean, did you did you feel that a lot was coming down on the training aspect of it and that we need to do better or or we need to correct some wrongs or deficiencies? Well, you know, it's it's sometimes you you know, as the firemen or and we all think about it in our day to day life. Are we sure. are we re- are we reactionary or are we being pro- proactive? Yeah. You know, in this case, we were being reactionary. We had the worst thing that could happen, mm-hmm. you know, but, but in a sense, we're being proactive because we're trying to prevent it from happening again. Yes. Yes. So it's like a fine line there, right? You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. I get it. It's like, oh, yeah, well, now we do this after, after the bad thing happened, you know? Well, no, now we're going to do this so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's a... Yes, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying, and that's the other that's the other side of the coin and the way that we need to look at it, right? Um, right. That, you know, what we want to do and what we're going to set forth now will allow us to hopefully never have to deal with this again, and we're going to take a proactive stand now. You know, it's reactionary to, the, to what happened, but let's go further with it and be more proactive so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah, that's strong. So with all of that, then, um, comes uh, a career retirement, and uh, and you continue to teach at the Fire Academy still, right? Because you did 25 years at the Fire yeah. Academy. How, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you were, you were training uh, new students all the time. Um, you yeah. get to see the 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 uh, students come through from day one to the days that they progress through fire one, fire two, fire three, and they go up through the fire officer series and so on. Talk to me about what that did for you to watch students, you know, progress through higher education. Did like, did you feel a sense of accomplishment and ownership of that? Yeah, and in a lot of cases, accomplishment. Yeah, you know when. When you go back or you, I go to a class with the Division of Fire Safety to maintain my certification, or even if I teach a class, you know, and there's somebody in there who says, hey, you were my instructor at the academy. Yeah. And you're like, and you check the guy, oh, you're a lieutenant, you're a captain and wherever. Oh, that's great. It's like, well, maybe I had a little piece of that, you know. Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, you were you were a good instructor, but, you know, it always makes you feel good. But, yeah, I, I, I was lucky when, you know, when Berg County Fire Academy – had a lot of good career departments come through, but we had a lot of great staff up there. Yeah, I was able to teach with uh, Mike Nast, who was mm-hmm. a deputy chief in Newark. Sure. You know, Anthony Avillo, deputy chief in North Hudson, uh, Chief Tommy Heller, and Chief Jimmy Muller from Jersey City. Right. These were salty guys that taught me how to teach and also, you know, how to build the, the students into firefighters. So it was just following in their footsteps and just keeping that progression going. The daytime staff up at the academy was great. The nighttime staff up at the academy was was equally well. It was just during the day, it was a condensed version of the program because it was two lessons a day for five days. So you were finishing up these groups of firefighters over two, three weeks and sipping them off to their department where at night you got to build a better relationship because you saw them 16, 18 weeks, you know, twice a week. And even, work, you know, working shift work, you weren't there every week, but you were there when you could and tried to stay with that program and watch these, you know, young firefighters start learning things and starting to think on their own. Yeah. Like I said, the, the, the kid I, I talked about that's in Passaic now, you know, watched him progress on up the ladder and now, you know, to where he's going. You know, it, it's, it, it is impressive to watch. It's also, you know, when you go into some classrooms, you're like, wow, look at these salty people that are going to, uh, that are my students now. Yeah. 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 Because again, I mean, we had 
Jersey City sent people back up. Uh, Hoboken sent people back up there for Firefighter 2. And walk into the classroom, like, oh, John, you're going to start Monday. We're going to do a Firefighter 2 class. Okay, and you walk into the room, and you're the youngest guy there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like all these guys, there was 12 guys from Hoboken that were like, they could have retired probably. Yeah, but, you know, what's up, kid? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, you know, you guys can teach me, yeah. and, which they did. We taught each other a lot during those couple of weeks of doing fire two with them, all the other instructors. You know, we learned how to hobo can do things. What did you, what did you really, about what did you really enjoy about training? Like, what was it about training that like, like, was there a sense of accomplishment? Was it, uh, you know, pushing and promoting yourself to be better and to learn more? Like, what about training really? Because it seems like training throughout your entire career was at the forefront for you. And in, in, and it should be. It should be for, for all of us, right, to push ourselves to do more, to learn more, to be better. What was it for you? For me, it was it was keep me in the books, and especially since I retired from being on the job. Yeah, it kept me in the fire service. You know, it kept me with the guys, kept me doing things. Uh, it's funny tonight on Jeopardy, the the question there was a question: uh, He who dares to teach is forced to, and what was the answer is what is learned. Yes, right. So as an instructor, you have to keep learning. You can't you can't say, "Oh, I'm an instructor, I know everything." No, you got to get in the books. You got to stay in the books. But it was fun and that that was one of the clues on Jeopardy tonight. I thought, and you know, how fitting, pretty interesting because that's what we do. You know, I'm lucky I, where I still teach. I still teach for the Division of Fire Safety, but in the academy, it was great to mold firefighters, see them make mistakes, and try to correct them, and see them correct themselves, and and then come back the next week and do things right. You know, try and do things until you can't do them wrong. Yeah, and, and see if they pick that up, pick up on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like that. And so then you also stepped outside of the local New Jersey channels too, right? I mean, you know, you wrote for, you wrote training articles. Uh, I think you're uh, published in a a few books. Uh, You do, uh, and you still teach for the New Jersey Division of Fire and Safety. uh, And you teach with your friend, uh, Robert Moran, uh, who's a fellow Jersey guy who relocated to Massachusetts. But you guys, I'm sure, are the best of friends and still teach and train together. Um, and so yep, on. Do. How fun is that yep. to, to take it outside of your home turf and to meet people across the country that are really dialed in like you are? Again, that's that's a nerve wracking thing. Also, you know, you had a lot of confidence teaching, you know, in the local local theater in Bergen County and, you know, doing that. And we had the opportunity to teach uh, Harvey Eisner. Uh, another another great, Jersey guy. Uh, men- for sure. Another great mentor. Yes. Jersey guy. Unfortunate time, untimely his his passing, mm-hmm. but Harvey was a chief in our in our mutual aid, and he was a chief in Tanafly, and in the East Bergen mutual aid, Tanafly was part of the, the mutual aid. So we knew Harvey all the time, and he used to invite us down to the to the expo, and we'd work behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, we did the logistics behind the scenes and support this and support that, do introductions, you know, handouts or whatever needed to be done, and we got to meet a lot of the influential speakers at the time. And then, you know, he's like, you know, you guys should put something together and, and teach something. So, wow, you know, here, <laughs> you know, all of these big names, you know, are teaching here. We can't teach here, you know. He's from Agawood. I was from Cliffside Park. It's like, come on. Nobody even knows where they are, you know. I love it. Uh, but, but we did. We put together a, a basic search program, and we taught it. And my partner, like you said, Rob Moran, um, 
he was a student also at Jersey City State. So it, one of his instructors was Dennis O'Neill. At the time, he was one of the chiefs in Jersey City. Mm. Of course, we know that he's gone up, you know, been the superintendent of the National Fire Academy. Mm-hmm. has a great career and a great influence in the fire service. Um, so we get out, we go into the classroom in, in Baltimore. We're both nervous as it is. And Dennis O'Neill walks in and sits right in the front row. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and at that time, he, you know, he was the chief of the Jersey City Fire Department. This yeah. guy's the, chief of the largest department in Jersey, and he's coming to sit in our class. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, you want to talk about nerve wracking, right? But it, it, you know, afterwards, and he came up and he said, "We did a good job." And I was like, "Wow, you know, if he's saying we did a good job, we must have done a good job." Yeah, you know? so yeah. So that was a confidence builder right there. And you know, we wrote a couple articles here and there on different things. Um, we wrote an article on the, one of the Edgewater fires. Sure. Um, one of those uh, the, the townhouse fires down there. And then we wrote a little bit more, a little bit more. Now, now we're still writing. Uh, we actually rewrite the back page of the New York State Fire Chiefs magazine. Okay. Uh, size up. Uh, we write, you know, an editorial, the back page there. We have an article coming out that we just submitted in Firehouse. But over the years, we've probably had, you know, quite a few articles that we, we published and had the opportunity to teach, like we said, at FDIC and Firehouse and the bigger um, – conferences like that it's impressive when you walk into a room that's got you know 200 seats and there's a lot and they're almost all full that's that's nerve-wracking oh, but for it's sure. rewarding at the same time you're like wow these people want to come and see this guy from new jersey and listen to this topic you know? well um, I, you know i think you know it's infectious right like so when you find somebody that's passionate about the job and they're willing to put themselves out there and push it forward People want in on that, and it's infectious. I know, like, when I go to shows and I I go to conferences and so on, I sit there, and I often, you know, I chuckle to myself, I pinch myself sometimes with the people that I'm holding court with or the people I get to talk to and and call friends these days, and it's nothing what I ever thought the fire, what I where I would be in the fire service if you asked me more than five years ago, like, what what my vision was. It was, you know, and it would, it was a pipe dream, but to be able now to call a lot of these people dear friends. And these are guys that were influential in the American fire service in my upbringing, right. And reading their articles and their publications and, you know, they influenced me to want to be better, man. But I'll tell you this, John, just like me and you talking right now, there's no difference. It's just guys and girls that love the job. They love going to fires. They love sharing their knowledge and they're willing to put it out there to push this job forward. That's all that matters. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's, it's you. You get uh, overwhelmed a little bit by who you're with. You know, if you're in the company, or, you know, a chief Dunn uh, or Norman, or sure. you know, there's so many different chiefs out there that you know, or you know, just you, we put them up on pedestal because they've shared so much with us. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, last year we had the opportunity to teach in the New York State uh, Colt. They do three weekends of company officer leadership training uh, weekends, and uh, we talked with um, a chief two chiefs from Long Island and Chief Salka and me and uh, Rob Moran. And we spent the weekend with, you know, and like you said, they're, they're regular guys that, that just want to share the message. That's that it. Be they enjoy being firefighters. And if you're not training, then, you know, just stop being a firefighter. Yeah. Yeah. I and agree. That, you know, the whole thing, if you don't train every day or learn something every day, then just stop, just walk away. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because the other the other side of the coin, right, training and, and getting out there and teaching across the country 
and being involved like you are, the other side of it too is what we get out of the brotherhood aspect of it too. And I know that that's very oh, important yeah. to you as well, right? The camaraderie, the friendships, the, the, the highs, the lows that we all share together. Talk to me about the importance of that. I mean, that I know fuels you. I know you have very long-standing relationships with brothers and sisters all over this country because of your exposure and, and that you have gone in all in on the fire service. What has that done for you and what does that look like for you? It's been, it's been great again. And it goes back to, you know, everybody having that common, that commonality of loving the fire service. You know, uh, my younger brother, as, as you know, you just met him sure. recently. Uh, you, spent, you spent the weekend with him that, did. you, didn't, that you didn't spend together. That's what happens. Yeah, exactly. But we were actually roommates at a conference last week on myself. Walt Lewis uh, is one of the uh, founding members of the Fools, the Fraternal Order of Leatherhead Society. And, uh, and that's John's younger brother. And so uh, just to put it in perspective for people listening to this episode, uh, we both spoke at the same conference last weekend in Maine. And we shared a townhouse together. Uh, we were actually roommates. Uh, he had one bedroom, I had the other. I never saw him the whole time we were there. So it just, uh, <laughs> we, we passed ways at the conference itself and chatted. And I introduced myself to him. I, I, we had not met prior um, and so on. But we didn't even have a long, long conversation either. But it was nice to meet him. And hopefully I'll get him on the show down the road. But um, talk to me about that. Yeah, so, so I mean, I have a, my young, the, my younger brother in the fire services is like, that's like great. I've got, I've lived watching him come up through his career and that that's been great. And he's an assistant chief, a tour commander in the city of Orlando. Uh, you know, I watched him in his first department in actually in Malabar where there was a volunteer department where he, uh, you know, down where my parents retired to and then get on a job in Palm Bay and then look and then moved up to the bigger city, Orlando. But as far as the brotherhood and the networking, it's it, that's what makes the fire service. It's getting out there, just sharing ideas and talking and telling stories. Uh, it, it's it's great. Yeah. First time I brought my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, out to one of the fire conferences. I told her, I said, "You're going to meet some of the best people in the world, yeah. firefighters." Yeah, I said, and these are these people that you meet. These people are there to you know for the community. They're there for, and everybody that's at these conferences is there for themselves because they want to learn to get better. And she's agreed. She's like, wow, you've met some pretty impressive people, and I have a lot of friends out there, like you said, across the country that the networking opportunities have given us opportunities to go travel and teach, but also to learn from each other. You know, hey, what do you guys do with this type of situation or what did we do what i remember an article and you could call somebody up and say hey yeah you know, i call somebody in utah and say hey you know what about this positive pressure fan thing you know <laughs> we had a little question about it you know yeah and, and and you'll get the skinny on it because they'll be like hey this is what we do this is how it works i'll send you our sops i'll send you our sogs and and you know if you have any questions call back that's great because if, if you don't know, you start researching things and you only get like a one-sided opinion, your own opinion. But having the opportunity to call around and speak and listen to what other people are talking about, it's, it's pretty good. The, the networking, you know, um, that turns into brotherhood. Yeah, I, just, uh, I was just telling my son-in-law last night how we used to march in the New York City Parade on St. Paddy's Day right. with, that, with the, the famous Jack Murphy mm. and, and Rob Moran. And we always had a great time. And each each year we went, we met more and more people, right? I met a guy, you know, Ray Bell from Miami. 
It's like if you're in the fire service, you don't know who Ray Bell is. You know, you might as well just, you know, hang up your hat. <laughs> but he's just one of those guys. And, and he introduced you to this one. And then you meet these guys. And that, and, and it just gets bigger and bigger. And then every year you go back, it's like, wow, I haven't seen you. How's things, you know? And, and you build relationships like that, you know? You got to be uh, willing to put yourself out there. And I think that yeah. that's, that's the thing, right? Because it's the authenticity of that. And when you're willing to... Um, Put yourself out there to meet new people, open up conversation, let yourself uh, be learned a little bit, meaning let other people in to learn who you are. I watch guys today, they're so closed off to people they don't know. And all I want to do is grab them, shake them, and tell them, no, you need to talk to this guy. You need to meet this guy. You need to go to these functions and these events. Get out of get out of the the what you know, the, the circle of people that you run in now and mm -hmm. go join another circle and then another circle and meet people because this this job is all about relationships. I mean, it really yep. is, right? Like outside yep. of, of training and making ourselves better, more functionally sound and operational on the fire ground, it's all about the brotherhood aspect of it. And I look at like the fulfillment I get out of that, the 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 reward I get from the relationships I have. I have some of my the very best people in my entire world are people I've only met within the last few years because of National Fire Radio. And the, they wouldn't have been people in my life if I had never stepped out to do this and to meet people and so on. And so I can tell you flat out, and, and John, I know you would agree, is to put yourself out there, seek out other people, and you're going to find people that run in the same circles you do just in a different part of the country or a different county or state. And, man, those people are going to make you better. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so, and I remember, like, when you started National Fire Radio a few years ago, like, hey, you know that guy, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah I know of him. Yeah. He's going to start doing this, you know, international, this radio thing and talking to people. I was like, hey, you know, good for him. You know, that that's great. He's going to bring a little bit of Jersey out there. Let that's people right. Know that Jersey in the country and we're doing fire and we got firemen. And, you know, it's not just one of those, you know, dirty, smelly states that everybody thinks of it. <laughs> Wait. It's a good place to live and be a fireman. Listen, everybody needs a little jersey in their life. And so if I can bring that to the table, hell yeah, John, I'm doing it right then. I tell you, well, that's, you know, <laughs> Rob Moran and I travel around and we teach. And Mike Galliano and Phil Jones, the Seattle guys, named us the jersey guys. Yes. Right? So ever since they, we actually talked with them out in Utah probably 12, 13 years ago. And they said, oh, we brought our friends, the jersey guys, out with us. Right. And so unofficially, that's who we are. We just call ourselves the Jersey guys. There is no Jersey guys. No, we're not a business. We're just two guys from Jersey. Well, you know? but I, I actually I Googled you guys. I Googled you today to get some information on you. And that comes up when you look at news, the Jersey guys blog. And that goes way back to 2014. I mean, nine right. years ago, the Jersey guys blog, you and Rob Moran, you know, talking <laughs> shop, a bunch of Jersey guys. I love it. Right. So it was, you know, it was just the two of us, but the, it's the Jersey guys. We got recognized. Great. And there's other great people coming out of Jersey and every other state. Like I said, you're bringing Jersey out there. People don't understand what's going on here. You know, and, and it's just a good thing. Uh, networking with firemen. Um, I think just, we're all obligated to push it forward. And if that takes through conversation, relationships, you know, and so on. I mean, that's the selfish aspect of what we do too, right? Is that, 
you know, that fuels me. It fuels me to want to do more, be better. When I see other people, you know, after talking with you tonight and learning a couple new stories that I didn't know about John Lewis, the guy that, you know, I looked at and kind of looked up to in the fire Academy as a younger instructor who carried, had a way about him. And, and, you know, it was like, that's influential. And, it, you know, in, and, and that's what it was, you know, for me to almost 30 years ago. And now, you know, I, National Fire Radio is kind of influential, and if we're if we can help push the job forward or or give somebody you know uh, some advice or an idea or a concept through a podcast or educate them about who John Lewis is tonight, like that's important to me, and that is making the job better. And you're making the job better every day. We're trying, brother. We're trying. Like, it's important. Okay, I appreciate you know, you, that. You, you told me who you interviewed today. It's very impressive to be <laughs> even thought of on the same day as those people. Well, yeah, yeah, but listen, I mean, listen, that's fun stuff, man. I was doing that to, to bust chops. But, you know, but you you look at that and and you understand exactly what I mean by that because you know who that is. And and so right. when I when I mention something like that, it's because – you know, you put him on a pedestal like I do, too. And this is just somebody that's instrumental in the fire service growing up and a guy that wrote books and articles and so on that I interviewed today before John. And so I just said, John, you had some big shoes to fill today. Big shoes yeah. to follow. <laughs> but, you know, what you're, do what you're doing with this National Fire Radio is you're, you're, you're getting that other audience that, you know, our generation isn't tuned into, you know, podcasts and all of that as much as the next generation is now. But we you know, need they're, to they're get... On the phones, we... They're on the phones. The, uh, tablets that's where they're getting their training from that's where they're getting their information from yeah hopefully and we need hopefully. to get we need to get you guys to understand the importance of that which i know you do but then we need to get you guys to share your message on those platforms too because right. you know to for me it's very challenging i bridge that gap between the younger generation and the older generations now the different schools of thought in the fire service because i can relate to the young guys and i relate to the older guys and and so i find myself in the middle pulling everyone together or trying to at least and so for me it's important that as much as we want the young guys to learn the job i need the older guys to learn the job again too meaning they need to give back on the channels that people are paying attention to and it's very troubling for me to talk to a 25-year-old kid and he doesn't know who some of the instrumental guys were that that pushed the fire service forward through the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And, you know, and if they don't know who some of these names are and their contributions, then we're doing a disservice and we need to do a better job as the generation prior to educate them about who they are. And so... Right. We, we just wrote an article called Kids Today. It's not their fault. Right. right. It's, it's We were those kids. Yeah. You know, we didn't get it. You know, I joined the fire department. Guys were guys, in, you know, late seventies. Guys come home from Vietnam. The senior guys were all war veterans. You know, this was like, you know, we were not the military. We were, you know, so we they were disciplined. We had to learn their discipline. We had to learn their way of doing things. We didn't come in there with our own thoughts. We went to the academy and taught what was current at the academy. You know, a guy by the name of Leo up there would call you a brilliant and talk about Cosintas and Pagadas, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's what taught you the fire service. You learned that respect to the senior members. You learned how they they had things done. And once in a while, you're like, hey, this is what we learned in the academy. And it was like, oh, we don't do it that way, kid. You know, but then later on, within a year or so, two years, we're like, hey, you know what? Didn't you learn this? Didn't you something like this into your academy and your, in your right. academy class? You know, so 
they would start paying attention to the, the younger guys sometimes, but the younger guys had to pay attention to the old guys. Uh, it, it's not the younger generation's fault that they're not picking up on what we're doing. It's the senior's fault, senior members' fault, not fault, but senior members' responsibility to take them under the wing and, and show them the guidance and say, all right, hey, what are you learning on your, your iPad there? You know, are you reading things on engine companies? Are you reading things on, you know, is it relevant to what we're doing here in our department? You know, there's a lot of great stories, a lot of great articles, but, you know, some departments, you know, New York City could put 100 people on a fire ground in a heartbeat. That's right. Yeah. Here in Burton County, it wants to take 100 people on a fire ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. or anywhere USA. That's right. 100 people on a fire ground, it's not going to happen real quick. No. So it's, it's like, what what are you doing that's relevant to what? our department, our agency, our responses. Yeah. You know? I like that. That's a very where good the way secret, to put it. Where the senior members need to mentor and work with the newer generation, because there are good training available, available online. Again, you just have to vet that training and see where it's coming from. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, you know, it's finding that common ground between the generations and that's where the success is. And, you know, it takes work by both sides of the coin to to get to the middle ground that pushes this job forward. And so, you know, that's what I love about it. But, John, what a great conversation tonight, brother. Thank you very, very much for joining me tonight. An hour goes very quick. And wow. um, that's it, man. We're at 57 minutes right now. And wow. uh, I try to keep it to an hour. But I know you and I could chat forever, especially about the Jersey stuff for sure. But, I mean, mm -hmm. just overall, though, you know, the fact that you're still out there teaching and training all these years later after retiring from the academy and retiring from the job, and you're still very much connected, still writing articles and still being, re you know, relevant and, and staying in tune with the job, that's super important, man. And I got to think that that, for you, is also keeping you sharp and excited about it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, uh, for other reasons, I can't be in fire service right now. Um but this keeps me right there. I mean, I'm I'm not wearing the turnout coat, but my heart and soul is right there inside the fire service. And that. I'm there for for the farm if they need it. You know, they need me. I'll answer a question. I'll ask. I, I'll do the research. I'll do whatever I, I can to help the farm out. Yeah. Know? Well, it keeps me happy. Well, and and you know what, John? All these years later, when I when I saw you on the training grounds, and and when I first met you to where you are today, it's still the same attitude and excitement and, and love and passion for the job. And so, uh, you know, it's infectious. So keep spreading the good word. Keep putting yourself out there. Keep pushing to learn and train because you're certainly still making the job a good place to be. And uh, you know, you've made a big difference and impact in my career. And, uh, and a lot of other guys that I know in the, in the Jersey area, for sure, let alone the national, you know, stage that you and uh, Rob Moran's been teaching on for quite a long time. So keep making the job better. Keep pushing it forward, man. I appreciate you, brother. And you too. You're doing a great job, Jeremy. Keep the word out there. Keep the, keep the good word going. John, thank you very much, pal. I appreciate you joining well, me tonight. Stay right here. Uh, and uh, I'm going to sign off and I'll come right back to you. Okay. So hang on one second. Everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. John Lewis, retired lieutenant out of Passaic, New Jersey, retired fire instructor for over 25 years, teaches nationally, has written in national publications. This guy has dedicated his life to pushing the job forward, training, and going to jobs. It's what he loves. It's what he still does. And, uh, John, I am grateful. Thanks for joining me tonight. Guys, please take this conversation 
Take it back to the firehouse and talk about it because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.